Well, good morning, Essene. Let's put our hands together for that awesome opportunity that we have to bless the socks off of this city. Listen, one of the things that I get the awesome opportunity of being here, uh, my name is Maurice, if I haven't met you. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I have the awesome opportunity uh, to be a part of the teaching pastor and also pastor of racial reconciliation. Uh, before I get started, I want to make sure I make an acknowledgement for everyone that's in the room, but also we have some amazing people that are tuning in online, whether that's live or you're watching a couple of days, a couple of weeks down the road. I want to acknowledge our online community as well. Um, as we get started on today, if you're a first-timer, first-time-ish, um, I got a chance to actually be right by the door uh, last week and the week before. And man, I tell you, as we, people were coming in, like the extroverted Enneagram 7 to me, it was just like, there's so many people I don't know. And I feel weird because I talk for people for about 30 seconds, and then I'm like, can I have your number? I'm like, I would like to hang out with you, and then me and my, my wife, we can go get lunch together and all this other stuff. Um, so I say all that to say... I know that it can be a risk going somewhere for the very first time, that it can be a little bit of a, uh, taking a chance on something. And as you're in that process of figuring out, is a scent the right fit for you? I just want to let you know that we are praying alongside you in that. And I got to say that I am biased. I believe a scent is one of the greatest churches on the face of this earth. I believe it. I firm, come on, somebody. I firmly believe it. Ascent is one of the greatest uh, churches on the face of the earth. But also, I got to let you know, um, from up front, we don't have it all together. But we are in this together, is what I like to say. Uh, so I want to make a shout out to every single person who's first time or first time-ish. Um, also, as I get started, I want to make a couple of acknowledgments. Um, I believe we just celebrated, not I believe, I know we just celebrated Veterans Day and Veterans Weekend. If we have any veterans in the room, would you please stand at this moment? Hold the clap, hold the clap. We're going to do it together. Okay, all right, all right. There we go. Yes. Thank you. I wanted to take a moment to not only just acknowledge you, but to give you your roses, to give you honor. It is because of your service. It is because of your courage. It is because of your work on the front lines uh, that we are in our privileged place that we are today, that we get to experience some of the liberties that we do today because of your service. So I want to acknowledge all of the vets in the room. Not only that, uh, a few decades ago in our nation, we officially named November Native American and Indigenous Peoples Month. And I want to bring awareness to that, uh, to just celebrate that in a way, uh, to bring awareness. Uh, not just because I'm pastor of racial reconciliation, but as a community. We know that Jesus calls us to see every single person as people of value and of dignity. And I think it's important to just show an awareness to bring about uh, knowing more about communities that sometimes are marginalized or even sometimes silenced. And so in, you know, in the name of that, I just want to bring acknowledgement to that, uh, the month of Native American Heritage Month. Um, as pastor of racial reconciliation, we're leaning into some of this work. And if you want to know more about that, if you want to educate yourself in some of that, some of the guide, a good guide for you may be going to our website. And on our website, we have a particular tab that talks all about um, engaging in some of the racial reconciliation and also certain things like just celebrating certain heritage months. Um, and so please do that. We are actually shameless plug in the middle of a book club, book study right now. You can throw that graphic on the screen. We're uh, two weeks in. We're getting going into our third week next week, uh, or this week coming up is going to be our third week. If you still want to join in, we would love for you to join in and just have conversation with us about what it looks like to be a community of Jesus followers that is engaged in reconciliation. All right? Well, listen, I'm excited for our time together, and I just want to take a moment to pray for our morning. I want to pray for our morning because I firmly believe, I don't do this just as some sort of uh, thing that is supposed to happen, but I firmly believe that God's presence is here. 
And when God's spirit is here, when God's presence is with us, I firmly believe that he desires to do something inside of us, that there is a word for every single person here. And so I want to pray for our hearts on this morning, because I, from experience, have seen that when I open myself up, I may not have expected it, but there is something that takes place on the inside of me and that my life is never the same. So would you take a moment to bow your heads, slow ourselves down and pray on this morning. God, thank you for our time together. Thank you for this moment to come together as a community, to just lift up your name, to not only worship together, but come together seeking, longing, wondering, journeying to figure out more of you, more about who you are. I pray, Lord, that you speak through me, this broken, flawed vessel that you have called to preach your gospel. And may people know more about you and not so much Maurice. Would you hide me behind your cross in this moment as I preach your word? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may or may not know this, but I was born in Linwood, California. I was born in Linwood, California, this right in the heart of Los Angeles. Not uh, too long after being born in Linwood at St. Francis Hospital, we moved to a place called Riverside. And this morning, I actually have the awesome opportunity of being blessed by the presence of my parents. They're in the room and are on the front row. Thank you all. Thank you all. My parents are in town. Uh, they're both from Compton, California. And this is an amazing place that we grew up in, that they grew up in, that I got a chance to experience. We moved to Riverside a little bit after when I was born. But um, when we moved, uh, all of our family was back in L.A. We called it the city, back in the city. Everybody was in the city. Family reunions was in the city. Cookouts was in the city. Get-togethers was in the city. Every Fourth of July was fireworks going off in the city. We spent all of our time out there. So I was shaped by L.A. culture. There's one particular saying that you may have heard, and everybody kind of use it their own way because we moved to Riverside, but you can take the family out of Compton, but you can't take the Compton out the family. We was raised by L.A. culture. I was raised and shaped by L.A. culture. I love L.A. culture. We actually had a lot of family time in L.A. LA culture. Uh, there's actually a few pictures that I brought to go down memory lane to just express and to show some of who we are as a family from Los Angeles. Uh, this is me and my, <laughs> that's me in the back seat, uh, knocked out. There you go. <laughs> there he goes, one picture. What's the next picture that we have? This is me and my dad, my brother. That's us. Now, listen, that's, that's a traditional, stereotypical black family going to church right there. That, that's, that's church. I hope y'all know that's church get up right there. That's, we are going, we are outside of my aunt's church right there. My dad had us in hats all the time, and we just knew that, like, that we looked decked out. I just thought, as I put that picture up, as I thought about it, I was like, you know what? One day, I'm not even going to tell any of the staff. I'm just going to come in just like that. I'm going to come in right there, and it's going to be church. I'm going to take it back old school. What else do we got up there? Now, this is where I knew that my parents weren't perfect. My dad had me in a Raiders outfit, so I am not a Raiders fan. He raised me as a Raiders. Yeah, I got another Raider back there. <laughs> that's my dad. That's me and my brother. And uh, he had us Raidered out, Raidered out. I got delivered. Don't worry. I did get delivered, and I am no longer a Raiders fan. But that's what my dad had us in Raiders gear. Was that the last one that we had? There's one more perfect. Me and my mom, we were all on the football field hanging out. That's just a little bit of us. Listen, I showed those pictures uh, because this morning I'm leaning into a particular topic that I'm excited about. 
and were shaped, like for me in my growing up being shaped by LA culture, I always knew that going to LA, I was going to experience certain things in LA. I was going to experience certain things in LA. Being in Riverside, going to LA, I knew going to LA, I was going to have the LA food. Now, if you've ever been to LA and you know the food, it's not so much boulderish. It was full of gluten, cholesterol, fat, and goodness, like that's the ingredients right there. It's all of those things. We would go down to this pastrami place. What's the pastrami place called, Pops? Johnny Pastrami's. He would take us to Johnny Pastrami's. We could not leave LA without going to some of a good food spot, Phil's Barbecue. We knew we were going to have some sort of LA food going to LA. You can't leave LA without going to an LA spot for food. Not only did I know that I was gonna be going to LA and getting some food, but I knew that always when we went to LA, L.A. was also known for competition. What do I mean by competition? In L.A., we knew that there was full of talent in L.A. Now, I was in Riverside. Now, we, played, we grew up, I played, uh, I played football and I ran track. We used to beat up on all of Riverside, y'all. And Riverside couldn't touch us. We used to beat up on Riverside, but my parents was from Compton, so my dad would say, now, you beating up on Riverside, we got a track meet in L.A. Now, let's see what you do, because L.A. is full of talent. And we would go up there and we would get our behinds beat, y'all. We, they, would, they would whoop us, they would beat up on us. I remember I ran third leg and I was running track. And as you know, in track, you kind of stagger out. It kind of feels like you're kind of getting ahead. Um, in eighth grade, I would hand the baton off to my cousin Lester. Now, Lester, if you're watching this, I'm only telling the truth. I'd hand off the, cousin, uh, the baton to my uh, cousin Lester. We would be in first and there was this grown man in eighth grade by the name of O.C. His name was O.C. This is a grown man, y'all. He had a beard and everything. We would be 20 yards out front. We just knew this was the win right here. O.C. would come and walk my cousin Lester down. It would be bad. It was one of those ones, if you ever been to track meet, and it's just like the crowd stands up and it's like, oh my gosh, it just, just passed him. Now I say that because it's a little tough because Lester was also the fastest on the team. Now I make fun of Lester, but I didn't want to be in Lester's position, okay? I knew when I went to LA that I would not only be experiencing food, not only would I experience competition, but I knew that if I was going to experience the goodness of LA, of LA I was going to have to wait in traffic. I knew it. I knew that when we were going to experience the goodness of LA, that it came with the territory. I may kick a little bit, it may be frustrating, it may be annoying, but it came with the territory. If I was going to get to the goodness of LA with family, food, competition, all of those good things, I was going to have to wait in traffic. I bring that up this morning because I believe the same is true in our walk with Jesus and our spiritual formation. That sometimes we're looking to get to the end goal. We're looking to get to that place. We're in a series right now uh, called The Goliaths of Gratitude. And some of us are longing to be people of gratitude and grateful and people of thankfulness. And I think to myself, sometimes we're rushing to that end place. But I, this morning, want to encourage us in that season of waiting. As I prepared this time together, I knew that you cannot look far in Scripture without coming across people who had to wait on God. If you're a Christian in the room, you're a person who's the follower of Jesus, you may know Hebrews chapter 11. It's this long list of people who were called great people of faith. Some people call it the hall of faith. And in my study, I started to go down this list of all these people in Hebrews chapter 11. And one of the things that stood out to me is that you can never come across a great person of faith who also did not have to have a great season of wait. 
A great person of faith is also one who is shaped by a great season of waiting. And I believe this is important for our time together and our spiritual formation because in some ways, I believe up front, we need to just be honest with people. That if you're going to follow God, if you're going to walk in the ways of God and walk in the ways of Jesus, you will encounter seasons of waiting. Seasons that become frustrating. Seasons that become annoying. Seasons that get under your skin because you're waiting. In our Western American context, you know that this is not our norm. This is not our default. But yet, in some ways, it's as if when God gives us an orientation package and you're like, I want to be a Christian. I want to sign me up. I want to follow in the ways of Jesus. You may come across pages of love and kindness and joy and bearing your cross and loving your neighbor and all these things. And yet, there's also going to be a page that talks about waiting. Have you been there before? Where you've had to wait on God. You've had to wait against your own will. You've been praying for those results. You've been praying for that particular family member. And it seems as if everyone is getting their blessing. Everyone is getting the things that they're longing for and desiring and that God is favoring those that might be around you. But for whatever reason, you have to keep waiting. Today in our time together, I believe John, this guy in scripture who is a follower of Jesus, is going to show us and in some ways through his raw, real story, encourage us of what it means to wait on God. This series, we're talking about the Goliaths of gratitude. And I spent my time, I was wrestling of like, do I talk about gratitude or do I talk about the Goliaths or what are these things? And I really felt the emphasis to encourage us this morning for some of you that might be waiting might be waiting on the results, might be waiting on an answer, might be waiting on a family member to return home, might be waiting for a particular thing that's happening in your life. We will all be faced with waiting. In the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 1, I want to read for you in your hearing. It says these words, Now, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and proclaim his message in their cities. When John heard in prison that the Messiah was doing, what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear and dead are raised and the poor have good news brought to them. Today, if I were to preach from a particular topic, I would preach from the topic that your waiting is working. Your waiting is working. Would you just nudge the person that you came with and just go ahead and say, your waiting is working? Your waiting is working? Go ahead. You go ahead. Take a little moment. My parents are here, so I'm going to just go ahead and be a little bit more, you know, black church this morning, okay? Just go ahead and nudge your neighbor. Just let them know your waiting is working. Your waiting is working for you. Middle school, just go ahead, just go ahead and nudge the person next to you. Just let them know. Your waiting is working. You may not even know what I'm talking about right now. Your waiting is working. In this book, particular book, let me give you some context. John is a disciple of Jesus. He is in prison at this particular moment. 
John is a follower of Jesus. Now, you got to know that a few chapters before this, it's the same John that is also one who was preaching repentance in the name of Jesus. He was the one that was in the wilderness. He was the one that was eating bugs and locusts and all sorts of stuff, a little weird. He was the one that was an outcast, but yet he was the one that was prophesied in the book of Isaiah, that there would be one who prepares the way for Jesus. And he was one who would go and prepare the way. He would just tell people about this Messiah who's coming, and he would baptize people and tell them, live your life in this way because the Messiah is coming. John is the one who preached this particular gospel, and now we find ourselves in John, or Matthew chapter 11. And what John teaches us as he is sitting in prison, as I was reading and I came across that particular passage, are you the one or should we wait for another? See, John's preaching is being tested right now. He was talking about Jesus, but you just can't talk about Jesus without also going through some things that Jesus brings your way. He was proclaiming the good news of Jesus. He was talking about how good Jesus is, but yet he is now years, plural, years with an S, years in prison, waiting, sitting, wondering when will his time be next, wondering when will his family be blessed like everyone else. See, point number one that I realize and I see from John's particular story is that waiting is a testing time. Waiting time is testing time. You will be faced with a season of testing, and it will, it will be upon us the choice that we have to either be petty or, pers- or purposeful, be grateful or to grumble, to be jealous or to be joyful. John shows us that we will always be faced with a waiting, but it is in the waiting that our character is revealed. When you want to know who you are, when you want to know who someone else is, character is always revealed in times of waiting. You've seen this. If you want to know the person that you're dating, just give it some time. If you want to know what your teacher is like, just give that person some time. I was watching, you know, don't, don't judge me on this, y'all. I was watching a raunchy show. I know it's raunchy. You're going to give me flack for it. Love is Blind. Now, if you've seen Netflix and you've seen this particular show, it's about dating, and they take these people and they put them in these, like, pods, right? They put them in these different pods. You can't even see each other. All you can do is hear each other. And so you're kind of dating. It's like 25 different people that are just going in and out of these pods, and you're just listening. You can't see the person. And for 10 days, you have to find, watch this, your spouse, 10 days, you've got to find your spouse. Now, it's funny because the whole trajectory of the whole thing is that they're in these pods, they can't see each other, and the show is just capturing it all, right? And you got these people on day eight. They've only talked to this person for two days. I am so in love. It's like they know me. It's like they've been with me forever. I am so in love. I love this person. And all of them, without fail, this is my, this is my wife. This is my, this is my husband. I love this person. It's been forever. I, love, I was longing for this person. It's been eight days, y'all. Eight days. Eight days. Now, here's the thing, and I feel like it's just like a gotcha show because eight days pass, and then they send them on this whole, like, honeymoon excursion. They still feel like, okay, you know what? I don't really know this person, but now I'm kind of living in close quarters with this person. And then they go back home, family, friends. They're around every single person. They get their phones back for the very first time, and you just see the downhill decline, y'all. Oh, my goodness. Without fail. And then they have to get married in a couple of weeks, and they're just going at it. They're mad. They're fighting because character will always reveal itself in time. What is your waiting season like? What is it revealed in you? 
Because I firmly believe that first and foremost, God begins to show us ourself. And then from there, he begins to show us who he is. What is your waiting season revealed in you? What is your waiting season, your waiting season shown you about yourself? Has it shown you that you're a person who, if you don't get your way, you easily start going back to old ways? That if you don't have control over a situation, then immediately it feels as if you got to force something to happen. You've been waiting in traffic before. You've seen this. I've done it before. You think that you have the best way. Siri or Google Maps will tell you this is the fastest way. I know you're in traffic right now, but this is the fastest way, and you just can't sit still. So now you're taking back roads, you're exiting, you're going all the back, you're on a dirt road, you're in water, you and all this other stuff. You're trying to make your way, and still you cannot get around realizing Siri was right. Google Maps was right. If I would have just sat there, because sometimes busyness feels as if we're getting somewhere, but we're really not. Has your season of waiting revealed to you that you're a person who's longing more for control and busyness, but you're really not necessarily sitting in what God wants to reveal in you? I firmly believe that our waiting time is also our testing time. Not only do I believe our waiting time is our testing time, but I believe what John shows us on today is that waiting is our responsibility. Working is God's responsibility. Waiting is our responsibility and working is God's responsibility. Now, I want to make very clear that waiting is not passive. Waiting is not just fiddling our thumbs around. Waiting on God is a posture of being with God, trusting him, slowing down and realizing that it's these moments of waiting that actually bring out faith in us. See, if we prayed in God exactly what we wanted, it doesn't require any faith. But faith is necessary when you have to wait on God. I love the words that John uses, and I'm going to keep reiterating them because he says, are you the one or should we be waiting for another? This shows John's a little bit of angst in John, a little bit of, I don't need to be wasting my time right now. Are you the one or is there another? See, waiting is our responsibility. Working is God's responsibility. I want to show you uh, from the scripture, Matthew chapter 11, verse 4. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 through 5. It says these words, Jesus answered them, go and tell John. This is what he says. Go tell John. What you hear and what you see, the blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. John is worrying about, is this the Messiah? And the Messiah is doing Messiah things. It's as if the imagery is if in a hospital and you're in the waiting room. And sometimes you can be circling around and you're wondering, is this my time? What's, what's happening back there? What's going on? What's going on? And you're in that hospital waiting room and you're trying to figure it out. And you're mad at the doctor and the doctor is doing open heart surgery on your family member. The doctor is working and you're waiting. And yet in that waiting room, it reveals so much about us. Have you been waiting or have you been trying to work? Have you been trying to do the work of God that only God can do? See, there's some things in my life that I'm starting to realize that I firmly believe that when things become out of my control, I begin to just sit there and I'm a person, listen, I'm a control freak. If I'm not in the driver's seat, if I'm not the one doing it, if I'm not getting there on my particular time, on my timeline, I'm upset. I'm frustrated. 
but I'm showing more and more. I'm beginning to grow more and more is to see that there are certain things that are not in my hands. I look at certain family members. I look at certain things that take place in, my, in our own family, and I wonder to myself, man, why does this person just get it? We're trying to help them with this. We're trying to help them with that. Then they go back to this. Why, why, why don't they get it? And then I sit back and I wonder, am I going to change them or is God going to change them? Is Maurice trying to change everybody? Is Maurice trying to be the one who is fixing things and all the other stuff? Or am I leaving God things up to God? John is in prison in this moment, and he is complaining. He is grumbling. He is wondering, where is this person that I've been talking about? Why am I still in prison? And isn't it true that sometimes waiting can feel like prison? It can feel as if we're behind bars. It can feel as if in some ways it's beginning to become claustrophobic. That feels as if we can't move, as if we're bound. And then what happens when you try to do your thing? What happens when you try to put your hand on the steering wheel? What happens if, if you were to be honest with yourself, if you look back over your life, when you tried to pick the person you wanted to date, when you tried to do the things on your time, when you tried to finish school in your time, when you tried to do things on your timeline and at your pace? Has anybody been down that road where you just crashed and burned? You can look over your exes and tell that you tried to do some things and messed up. That was a joke. You can laugh. It's okay. <laughs> Our waiting time is not only a testing time, not only does John show us that waiting is our responsibility and, God, and working is God's responsibility, but we also see that waiting is not wasteful. Waiting is not wasteful. Isn't it true that sometimes we can sit back and we can realize or think to ourselves that we're getting nowhere? It feels as if we've wasted our time. Like I put all my time into this thing and now that's not even the career path that I'm going down. Why did I do that? You realize that you start to think to yourself that things are wasteful. You start to think to yourself that I wasted all this time. I wasted all of this energy. I've done all these things, and I was not supposed to be going down that path. And I knew that I was messing up, and I knew that I was doing some things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And it feels like I've just wasted my life. Gosh, why didn't I catch it earlier? Why didn't I catch those red flags earlier? Why did I let that relationship take me all the way down these, these dark paths? Why is it that I spent all my time? Let me talk to some of the leaders in the room. Look, I spent all my time at that church. I spent all my time serving in this particular capacity. And it feels like I just wasted my time. It feels as if everything is just gone down the drain. Why did I do that? Why? And you start to beat yourself up. Can I let you know that nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God? Can I let you know that everything that God is going to do in your life, he is going to take the good, the bad, the ugly, and make it for your good? What is happening in some of your waiting season, I encourage you this morning to realize that what God is doing is cultivating the character within you. That you may see the front side of the blessing, but there is a backside to that blessing that God realizes. And you see the promotion, but God sees the person you need to be to sustain that job promotion. You see the opportunity, but God sees the type of person that needs to be in that role of that opportunity. You see the front side, but God sees the back side. And this morning, I want to encourage you to let you know that your waiting is not wasteful. Romans 8 verse 28 says these words, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good. And I know it doesn't feel like that. I know it doesn't seem like that. 
you're looking at your life situation and it doesn't look like it's good. It doesn't feel as if God is on your side. What, God, what John shows us is that waiting is also frustrating. When waiting becomes frustrating, when waiting becomes a place where it actually feels more like a fight with God than it does waiting on God, can I let you know that you're right where God wants you to be? That God takes every single aspect of your life, what you have thrown away, that part of you that you don't like and you've tried to discard, God takes every single thing in your life, every single aspect of your life. This is the goodness of the gospel that he knows your past. He knows who you are. He knows your flaws. He knows your present. He knows your future. He knows all of these things. He knows, he understands, and yet he says, I love you. And yet he says, you're worth it. And yet he says, I'm for you. Your waiting is not wasteful, but God is going to take every single aspect of your life and work it for your good. I heard one preacher put it this way, that if the end goal is to be a cake, maybe just right now you're working with your butter. You can't be a cake with just butter. And your next season may feel it's like, well, I got my butter and now I got my sugar and now I feel like I'm doing something. But you're just sitting in your season of just having some of the ingredients. And then you got your butter, and then you got your sugar, and then you got your flour, and then you got your milk, and you think that you all that, but yet you don't have the stirring part together. There are some things that you may be facing in this season of life that becomes frustrating. And I got to let you know I've been there before. I don't stand here encouraging you with these words just because it feels like that's the thing to do. Some of you may know that when it comes to waiting, this was a hard season for my wife and I. If you will throw a picture up for me of that blessing right there. Now, you can go ahead and put it down. I don't want to cry. Just throw it. go ahead and put it down. But I throw that up there because some of you know our story, and I don't throw that up there as if every single thing is going to turn out good. But I say this because Aisha and I, we sat in a place where we begin to record ourselves. We begin to actually journal to one another. We bought a journal, and in our season of waiting, we would just write to each other. What we feeling? What's going on on that particular day? And I would go back and I would read some of the things that she wrote, and she'd read some of the things that I wrote. And sometimes I'm kind of like, you know what? I, I'm not even thinking about it right now. And I just write down and I just, you know, babe, I'm trying to just push it away and I'm not even thinking about it right now. And then there'll be moments that I begin to write exactly what's on my heart. And it's interesting that you can sit in that place and you can look back and you can see exactly where you were as a person as you waited on God. This God, can I let you know some of the thoughts that I had? This God that can deliver people, he can walk on water, he can do miracles, he can do all these things. I read about in scripture, he can take these different things, the same thing that we read about. He can open blind eyes, he can heal cancer, all of these different things, and yet you couldn't give me a baby. These are some of the things I wrote a year ago. These are some of the things I wrote two years ago as we sat in this place of waiting on God. And I want to be very careful to realize and recognize that people are still in some of their waiting season. And that not everybody's story, I actually talked this out with people who are around me, some of my inner circle and saying, I don't know. And I start to get to a place of recognizing the unknown and start to sit to myself and to say, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I won't be a parent 
Maybe that's not what is in my deck of cards. And I start to try to figure out, try to get to myself to a place of understanding, trying to figure out maybe that's it. Maybe this is it. Maybe this isn't what I wanted. Maybe this isn't all the things that I grew up understanding or seeing. And everybody who will just say, man, the father you're going to be someday. And oh my goodness, you're just going to be such a good dad. And you're going to all these things. And I have to wrestle with these words and wrestle with the frustration that it's unknown. And maybe that's not even going to be my story. In our waiting, it can feel more like a fight with God. And I have to encourage you to let you know that there's an entire story, there's an entire narrative within Scripture called lament. Lament is simply a full acknowledgement of what has happened or what is happening. Have you lamented over your waiting? Have you take a moment to fully acknowledge your waiting season and recognize exactly where you are? Great people of faith were not only great people of faith, not only were they great people of weight, but they were great people of wrestling, fighting with God. God, how long is it going to take you? When will it be my turn? These are stories. These are narratives within Scripture. David was one who continued to, how long will I be in shackles? How long will it take Mary, Lazarus', Lazarus brother, Lazarus is a man who died, and Mary came to Jesus saying, you can raise people from the dead, raise my brother. And Jesus sat there and waited and did nothing for three days. It feels as if wrestling happens with waiting. And I got to let you know that there is something holy about the frustration and fight that you have with God. That God is big enough to handle all of your emotional capacity to say, bring that to me. I understand. I understand, my child. You don't get it yet. And I know that my ways are above your ways and my thoughts are above your thoughts, but I'm right here with you. Come and tell me. Fight with me in that. It's in my fighting with God that I begin to realize more of God's presence. Today, as we sit in that waiting, maybe that's where you are today. And I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what it is that you're possibly thinking to yourself This is what I'm trying to fight through. As I end my time, I'm going to actually have a moment of prayer. But before I do, um, I think it's important for us to sit, to linger, and to recognize that the God that we serve is not distant. The God that we serve is not gone. The God that we serve may press upon us waiting, but it is in our waiting to recognize that our waiting is working. God is cultivating something with inside of us. Can you throw up James for me? James chapter, I believe, James chapter one. I want to read this in your hearing. It says these words, consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. That's my prayer for us on today. As I close my time, I'm actually going to have the awesome privilege of having my dad come pray for me. Come pray for us, excuse me. Um, But before he does, um, I think it's important for all of us to know that our waiting, that God is doing and stirring something in us, that God is cultivating a longing in you to recognize, yes, this is not it. The story is not over. 
There is something inside of you that God is starting to curate, to starting to, to cultivate, starting to produce within you. Will you allow God to do the good work within you so that whenever it is that you're waiting on, you may have it down here on earth or you may not have it down here on earth. We're entering into a whole season called Advent, and it's actually sitting in this coming of Jesus. That's what it's all about. It's talking about this coming of Jesus that is going to happen. And I want you to know that we're still all in the wait. Some things we experience and we are able to get blessed in a way down here to tangibly feel and to tangibly experience, but we are all awaiting the coming of Jesus, his return to all of us his return to embrace every single one of us in the fullness. There's many people throughout scripture, there's many people that you may even know that either experienced the blessing here or had to wait. Moses was one that brought the children of Israel all the way through all of those wilderness experiences and couldn't even go into the blessing that God had for everyone. You might be in that place of waiting. And waiting might be frustrating, but I want to let you know that not only is it testing you, not only is it a place where we don't just sit passively, but a waiting is worship. Waiting is worship. Waiting is our hearts being shaped by God. You aren't in control. You can't take the reins. Get your hand off that steering wheel. Waiting slows us down and creates a patience within us that grows up our faith. And when you let God do the good work in you, I believe that we become people who are fully mature, understanding that it is patience that shows us who we truly are. Will you allow God to do the waiting this morning? Will you allow God to do the working while you wait on this morning? Dad, you can come on up. I'm having my dad do the prayer this morning to just end our time. And I have the awesome opportunity of just being blessed by his presence and by who he is and how, who he has been in my life. And so I asked him and he reluctantly for a couple of days told me, no, he's not gonna do the prayer, but he's here with me on today. And I just wanna say, Dad, thank you uh, for ending our time together. Thank you, Marcus. thank you. My name is Mark Cox. Um, Maurice is saying a lot of things that ain't gonna happen. I'm just gonna say a prayer. But I do wanna say God is definitely in this house I am not the one that comes up and stand in front of a crowd. I have my own youth program. I can sit with the youth, tell them kids that's in trouble, kids, and help them. But to stand in front of people, this is not me. My boys do that, not me. I, I sit in the back. He does. That's true. That's true. I sit in the back. You can't find me. Maurice said, my father and mother is here. My father's somewhere. That's, that's who I am. That's I do true. not like to be out front. That's true. But definitely one thing about this church, one thing I did get was they said, God is in the house. God is definitely in the house. Maurice was walking. When I first got here, he said, Aisha, text him. And I said, what is going on? Because he picked me up at the airport last night. I said, I'm not. He said, oh, yeah, by the way, you're going to close in prayer. And I looked at it because they know I don't do this at all. Believe me, I'm not just saying this. And I said, okay. And Aisha text him. And I said, what is really going on? So when I walked in, Maurice said, this is your mic. We're going to do sound check. I'm like, sound check? What are you talking about? This is not me. <laughs> so then I was something, Maurice was walking by. It's only about 10 of us in here. And earth, wind, and fire came on. <laughs> I said, oh, wait a minute. I said, Maurice, come here. 
that's earth, wind, and fire. And so God started making me get comfortable. That's how you know God is so real. God said he gonna work with me. God was gonna make me get up. Cause I, 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 it's hard to get me up, believe me. My wife is right here, it's hard to do this. True. I said, but then don't give a brother a mic cause he might just keep going and get to talking about life. But I know how that is. I said, I said to myself, I said, that's earth, wind, and fire. That's God. God telling me, look at you. You moving your feet. You bobbing your head. You going to get up. This awesome prayer and worship team, she came with, um, don't be shy. And I'm the shyest man on earth. I said, don't be shy. Look at you, God. You just telling me I'm going to get up. So I'm going to get up and say, hey, you guys, I wish I can bring some, I wish I had pictures to show about Marie so I can get him back too. But that's going to be for the next time. There you go. If you can, just bow your head. Lord, we want to just thank you, Lord, for this word that you have brought to us today, Father. We just want to just thank you, Lord, for allowing this man to come forward and teach us a little bit about patience. And Lord, as we journey through this week, that we want to take some of this word today and use it and apply it to our lives. So, Father, as we uh, exit this building and go to our places, Lord, we just ask that you place your angels around us and strengthen us throughout the week. And not to take your word lightly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Gotcha. Awesome. You guys are awesome.